Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're very welcome to another episode of the Scaling Your Business podcast. For this episode, I'm joined by Greg Fry. We're back in Dublin. Greg is an international social media trainer. Had the pleasure of meeting Greg a couple of times throughout the years. uh, And I thought it would make complete sense to have him on. A lot of other industry experts, Anthony Quigley, speak very highly of Greg. Greg, you're very welcome to the show. Great to be here. Fantastic. Even in the the remote world that we're living in now. Good to see you. Exactly. Exactly. Well, that's one of the topics I'd like to talk to you about. We were chatting before we hit the record button, but... Typical fashion of the show, three areas, early influences, challenges, pivotal moments. Starting with early influences, you grew up in Dublin. I know that you went to secondary school for my research in Ranala. So talk to me about any favorite childhood memories of growing up in, in, in Dublin. Holy cow, we're going up in Dublin. Um, so, <laughs> si- si- simple as that. I mean, I am so old. It's unbelievable, Rian. Like, it's incredible. Despite the youthful good looks, which you can't see on the podcast. Um, I suppose I grew up in... Dublin, 80s, I remember for me, I was a ska boy. So I was into my, my ska music, um, like Madness as a band was a big band that I like to like. And I suppose that in many ways uh, plays into my personality insofar as um, happy. Um, happy is the world, is, is the word that, that I would always have uh, kind of gone by. I was always a happy kid. Um, that said, I was probably no academic, uh, to say the very least. The teachers always said could do better. Um, nice person, but, you know, that type of stuff. Um, you know, I was always very media, mediocre in sport. And potentially when I was little, I was, uh, when I say little, probably in my teens, I was probably relatively um, relatively shy. I was probably a thinker rather than a talker back then, even though I was a happy kid. Um, so that, that was kind of my personality in, in school. Um, my parents told me that, God, Greg, you should, you should get into uh, real estate. You should always listen to your parents, folks. Uh, get into real estate, get into real estate. So of course I did a marketing degree, thinking that uh, you know, marketing seems pretty easy. Um, I think the first thing I learned in my marketing um, marketing course, which is probably the best thing I learned in my marketing course, which was just uh, find out what your customer wants and give it to them. And, uh, I could have probably stopped there and saved four years of my life, quite frankly, Rian, if I just 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 took that on, took that on board. The rest was all um, was was all waffle to a large extent. But I kind of cruised um, cruised through my four years in uh, in college. Um, now the college I went to is now the Dublin Business School. So that's that mm. back at the time was ABC. I mean, some colleges had cool um, names like UCD and TCD. We had goddamn ABC. But anyway, um, so that was that was probably where I found a little bit more personality. I got a little bit more 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 outward. I had a bit more bit more crack, uh, if you like, um, in the true Irish sense, um, not not the American sense mm-hmm. and um <laughs> yeah just started to uh started to, to to build upon that that personality and become a little bit more vocal um then a big event happened in ireland um which was the Wor- world cup in 94 um and somehow i managed to get a free ticket to the to the u.s wow. 
and uh, went over to support the the boys in green um in the the, the in the football the foot in the in the world cup in 94 tears coming down the eyes when ray houghton scored against italy and that's that's an, that's another story but again that was probably my again stepping outside of my comfort zone so when when we talk about the early years um like i went to the world cup by myself um wow. you know um and to be honest with you, it's all little steps of stepping outside your comfort zone. You know, the first mm. public public talk I, I remember in school, I used to be one of those kids that hated reading aloud or hated speaking publicly. It fretted, scared the bejesus out of me. But actually, when I look at my career and I look at my early years, it was the tiny little steps of just not taking massive steps outside of your mm -hmm. comfort zone, but little steps out of your comfort zone. So when I think of even what shaped me, things like going to the World Cup in 94, which is a blessing, uh, but by myself and had just happened to kind of mill around, meet people and and uh, and um, I suppose find, find my own path worked really well. And it was on the back of going to the World Cup in 94 that I, um, not not because of it, but I, at the same time, I got a green card. So I went and I lived in America for four years. And again, that was largely by myself. And um, again, it just allowed me to kind of grow as a human being, grow up. And um, even though I was highly irresponsible all the time, but grow up and um, literally find my voice. And it was probably my four years in America change my mindset from uh, and I can't do mindset set to a, and I can do a mindset and America I was to have a big love-hate relationship with America I genuinely do um, it taught me to push myself forward more it taught me to fight more it taught me to, um, to, to, to have a mindset that I can do rather than I can't and I think that that was probably my defining moment. And that's when I started to, um, I feel confident enough to, uh, to push myself forward and feel confident enough to, to speak in, in, in front of um, large amounts of people and be confident in my own opinions and beliefs to actually not force them upon people, but certainly share them with people. A mm. couple of things I want to pick up on there, but before mm. we do, uh, influences. People can usually pinpoint whether it's a teacher, an acquaintance, uh, extended family member, a close family member, someone who had a massive impact or influence on them that shaped the person they've become today. Is there anyone that springs to mind for you? Yeah, no, it's a weird one. It's like the weird thing is probably my grandfather many, many years ago, um, who I think he really shaped my personality. He was... Um, he was a fairly flamboyant man and he, you know, he, 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 you know, he would take me to uh, take me to play golf at a golf club that didn't like to have kids. And he would roam around um, with, with, with me, throwing me clubs whilst other um, members looked in sheer disgust. He would have his golden retriever running around the golf course. And he, he I wouldn't say he didn't give a shit because he, he did give a shit, but ultimately he was living his best life. He was he was doing the things that he wanted to do. And ultimately, he wasn't letting other people dampen his spirits. And I think in many ways, when I look at my, my, my personality, whilst I would be very caring and I would care about other people around me, I wouldn't let other people 
dampen my spirits. And I think he was probably the biggest, the biggest influence when it comes to my overall personality. It was the Society of America was the other big thing. And it was, so it wasn't an individual. I mean, I, I went for job interviews in America and they said, can you do something? And I said, well, no, I've never done that before, but I think maybe I per perhaps maybe probably could. And the Americans that would be going for a job would be going, yeah, I can do that. I'm the best at doing that. And they weren't. They were crap. Mm -hmm. But the simple reality is they their self-belief was on steroids. And I suppose I was I was thinking I was being really honest and really genuine and really sincere, but I was limiting myself. So probably my grandfather and um the Society of America that forced me to push myself forward and to be maybe a little bit more arrogant and and, and um and powerful about you know what I could and couldn't do, you know. It's like the World Cup in America turns you from that shy kid into the kid who's done hundreds, if not thousands of talks on stage. It made a big difference. Like, there's no doubt it made a big difference. Who, who knew that that, that, goal, that goal in the World Cup um, <laughs> um, was the beginning of such a big, big shift when it comes to, came to confidence, yeah. You said you went to ABC College, now Dublin Business School, uh, to do marketing. I'm curious to know, because I, I did marketing and DIT myself, and... Uh, Stripe recently announced that they're going to be creating a course in alignment with UL for those who are interested in coding, uh, but a course that they think coders will actually want rather than a lot of theory-based, so a lot of workshop-based. You said that, and I'd agree with you with my course as well, you know, uh, uh, you use the word waffle. Um, some of it's outdated, a lot of theory-based, um, and I think that Striper doing an amazing thing in your mind. If you could maybe wave a magic wand and introduce a marketing course uh, in alignment with a college, what 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 would the difference be compared to a course that you went through or a course that a typical person goes through today? Is there any differences? Absolutely. Like I've got whiplash. You, you wouldn't have seen it in the podcast, but I was just nodding when you were talking there so <laughs> frantically that I've given myself a whiplash there. But the, the, the reality is the, the, the power of any sort of learning is by doing. It's not by reading reams and reams of, uh, of, of, of text. At the end of the day, you know, you can look at the likes of the leaving, sir, and it's still, it's still really an, it's still a memory-based exam rather than a knowledge-based exam, which drives me nuts. And um, a lot of out Outdated college courses are the same. So again, like if if I can remember a bunch of um, definitions, that gets me far in a marketing course. But it's not actually going to help you market in the real world. So it's really, it's really trying to figure out how to create a course that's 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 hands on and is doing and not 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 consuming because you only learn by doing. The weird mm. thing with the likes of marketing is, you know, there, there, there's probably a clear split with marketing now where it comes to we've got the creative side to marketing, which is fantastic and that's all cool. And then we've got the data and the analytics side to, to marketing, which, are, which is equally important as well. And in many ways, you may need to be two different people to, to, uh, mm. uh, to be excellent in, 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 in those, those elements. And I think it's, it's often a disconnect, even in business now, where you may find it could be a digital agency that's great on the creative side, not so good on the data side, or someone that's great on the data side and not so good on the creative side. So I think, 
I think particularly as we head into a more digital era, era and I'm not into a, I'm not of a belief that that's digital marketing and traditional marketing. It's just goddamn marketing mm-hmm. in 2021. But as we move into a digital area where there is so much data that we can analyze and make intelligent decisions on, that ultimately um, the data analyst has become a key element when it comes to marketing. So I would expect that if I was doing a marketing course in 2021, that that a lot of that would be would be uh, data orientated, which may freak the creatives that wanted to sign up to marketing in the first place. But those two things have to go hand in hand. But to answer your point, it's in the doing, it's not in the, the theory. So theory is irrelevant unless we know how to do it. Mm. Spent 10 years working in recruitment before you became the mm. uh, international sensation that you are. Um, any standout lessons learned from your time there? Key takeaways, hone your skill set, build a network. What did it take from a decade in recruitment? Yeah, I mean, I suppose that the one thing with recruitment and you hit the word network. So, I mean, and I think it applies to all business. It doesn't matter what type of business that, that you're doing and wh- where you are in your uh, business journey. A journey. Networking is key. It's absolutely key. It's, it's are you connecting and building relationships with the right people? And are you keeping those relationships fresh and valuable? And how you keep those relationships win-win relationships? So at the end of the day, the recruiter that was calling up, connecting with people and always asking them for favors is a pain in the ass. That's who they are. Uh, but the recruiter that's connecting with, with other business, uh, business professionals and offering value, as well as occasionally asking for a favor, is an asset. And I think that that's the one thing that we forget sometimes when it comes to networking is it has to be a win-win. So we have to be giving a lot of the time. And I think sometimes when we're networking, um, we're, we're, we're trying to find someone we need and then we're asking them for something and uh, it doesn't work. Because ultimately mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a stranger a minute ago and now I'm asking for a favor. Um, it's a turnoff. So it's about that, that relation. So the one thing I suppose I did, I did get out of recruitment was the importance of relationship building and the importance of trying to give more than I asked for. So when I asked for something particularly valuable, someone would go out of their way to give it to me. Um, I started using LinkedIn. I mean, I think at the time there was 8,000 users on LinkedIn in Ireland at the time. So it was quite some time ago. And I thought it was the most amazing platform. I mean, where, where in the world would you find 8,000 people that you could connect and engage with? I thought it was amazing. Um, but the one thing, one thing I did notice with LinkedIn is, and we still see it today, people will want to connect with you and then they send you some spammy message mm. asking you to do something or to sign up for something. And it's, they missed the point. So connecting, and particularly for recruitment, it, it, connecting is the beginning the beginning, beginning point. I meet Rian for the first time, I shake his hand. I'm interested in what Rian does for a living. We connect on LinkedIn. That's the beginning. It's not the end point. Now I have a job to build upon that relationship to reach out to Rian, to send him a valuable article as if, if, if I see it that I know is going to be of, of use to him, to put a phone call into Rian, um, you know, every, every month to three months just to see how he's getting on, is there anything I can help him with? It's building that relationship. I think so often we're, we're sloppy when it comes to kind of uh, networking as we connect with people, then we ignore them. And then we wonder why 
in fact, sometimes we scared, stare at our LinkedIn profile and go, who the hell is that person? Where did I meet them from? They're no good to us. So it's so that relationship building when it came to recruitment was key. The other thing I learned is proactiveness. So recruiters that aren't proactive fail. It's as simple as that. And um, you know, sometimes I was in in the game. Sometimes I was, to be honest, I'm sick of being a recruiter. But ultimately, unless you're proactive in business, you will fail. So don't sit there and wait for shit to come to come to you. Don't sit there and wait for someone to connect with you. It's a proactive act. So I suppose I had to, I learned that the fact is I wasn't sitting at a computer putting in data into data entry job. This was a very proactive act. And I think if you want to succeed in business, you've got to sit there. If you're, if you're not busy today, you've got to sit behind your desk or wherever you're, wherever you're working out of and go, how can I be pre proactive? Who can I reach out to? What can I make happen? Because I think very often we, we feel disarmed where we wait for stuff to happen for us. So proactivity and the importance of um, connecting and building relationships were probably two big lessons learned when it comes to recruitment. I've got to give you a shout out, though. Years ago, a young Rean uh, was still in college, uh, passion for marketing. Most of the time was waffle. And I'll be honest, I spent a lot of my time in the pub through between lectures but one of the one of these one on one particular day i contacted you and you were nice enough to meet with me in starbucks this must have been when i was oh 21 22 and we had a chat for maybe 30 45 minutes and i exited one of my businesses towards the end of last year having built it up a partner joined me about halfway through it was a four-year venture um and and a lot of it um a lot of it came from the the, the power and, and of what you touch on networking. And I know you were incredibly kind enough to give me 45 minutes of your time. So kudos to you and, and thank you for that, even though it was maybe seven, eight years ago. I still remember to this day. And I know a lot of people out there also speak highly of you, of someone who is a uh, incredibly nice person and will have a coffee with anyone. Well, if you don't ask, you don't get. Like it's as simple as that. Like the reason why you're talking about that is because you had the, you had the courage just to reach out and ask. Mm. And I think very often we we are the one we're the people that limit ourselves the most. It's not the world. It's not society. It's nothing else. It's the fact that we probably say in our heads, "Oh, he's probably too busy," or he's probably wouldn't want to want to meet with someone like me. Mm. Like it's bonkers stuff. I always say with, uh, with with people how would you feel if someone reached out and asked you for a for a coffee or for a chat and the chances are most of us are lovely people most of us are helpful people most of us are caring people the chances are if a younger version of you reached out proactively and said can you meet me for a coffee you wouldn't even hesitate you'd say yes so the lesson here is you know, don't be afraid to reach out and ask for help I mean, I remember it was the CEO of Sage many years ago. This is in um, my recruitment days. Mm-hmm. I met him at a networking event and he said, Greg, you know, give me a call anytime. Um, I'd love to have a chat with you. You know, we, you know, we'd be delighted to have a chat with you. So I said, that's cool. CEO of Sage. Wow, this is cool. And he gave me his business card and I looked at his business card and his business card had the telephone number of the switch on his business card, you know, whatever it was. Um, and I thought, 
it's not his direct number. It doesn't have his mobile number. It's like, what's the point? I'm never going to get mm. through to this guy. And cut a long story short, I didn't contact him for the first couple of weeks. And then I thought, oh, bugger. He said, call him. So I'm going to call him. So call the switch, asked to speak to him, went straight through to voicemail. And I went, ah, yeah, there we go. There we go. Of course, never going to get speaking to this guy. And I said, oh, it's Greg. Met you at the networking event. You said if I wanted to chat to you, to leave you a call. Within 20 minutes, he called me back. And we had a meeting and we did some business together. But the wow. simple reality is I nearly didn't go there because mm -hmm. I was making an assumption. I wasn't proactive enough. So at the end of the day, don't limit, don't limit yourself by saying he's probably not interested. She's probably not interested um, or they're too, they're too busy. Um, dare, dare, dare to reach out and talk to people. Agree. Agree. There's a lot of guests that I've sometimes hesitated in contacting to come on the show and Every time they do, they always more than happy to come on the show. There's a quote I came across, and I don't know if it's a favorite quote, but I've seen it next to your name a number of times. So mm. I'd like, if you recognize it, to give me how you interpret the quote. Mm. Choose a job you love, and you'll never have to work a day in your life. Yeah, choose it. Yeah, and again, this boils down to what I did um, after recruitment. I went into kind of career coaching, and mm -hmm. I suppose a big thing I found when I was dealing with people, when it came to their careers is they went down a career path that they hated, that possibly they always struggled with and they were miserable. And I always, I always like admired the likes of Bill Gates when, you know, Bill Gates said, you know, I'm not very comfortable selling. So I hired Steve Ballmer and, you know, ultimately I'm focusing on what I, what I'm good at and I've got him focusing on what he's good at. And ultimately, uh, it's much easier to be successful doing the things that you enjoy doing uh, because the things that you enjoy doing are probably the things that you're good doing and mm -hmm. ultimately it's going to make you more successful. So uh, the, the reality is I, I've, it used to drive me nuts in school with the bad advice that you used to get from career guidance counselors and so on. And I just feel, felt the more people I spoke to that more, more and more people were doing jobs that they thought they should do rather than jobs that they wanted to do um often through 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 bad advice um so the, the choose the job you love and you'll never have to work another day of your life is to be honest it's tongue-in-cheek because i love doing what i do but sometimes it feels like work and some days i'm tired so it's not exactly all them all ice creams and cocktails day in day out but the simple reality is i am getting enjoyment from what I'm doing. And ultimately, I think that that's the key. I think if you can get to a Sunday evening and, you know, you're not dreading the week and maybe the stuff you're looking forward to, if you if you end a working day and you go, Shit, that was a great day. Like if you can if you can end a day, go, that's a great day. Mm -hmm. Rather than got to survive that day, that day was awful. I need to go to the go to the pub. Um, there's nothing wrong with having a great day and going to the pub as well, if, if they ever open up. But, um, but just to me, that was the key. That, that's, that's the one thing is to pay attention to the things that you enjoy doing and try to do more of them. Just like if you set up your own business, what do you hate doing um, in your business at the moment? And is, are you actually bad at the thing that you hate doing? And is that something you could delegate or find an export, expert to outsource that to? And mm. would you be more proactive 
and successful, then homing in on doing the things that you're really, really good at doing. So to me, uh, you know, um, find, find, uh, choose the job you love and you'll never have to work another day in your life is tongue in cheek. But ultimately, there's a massive lesson there is just pay attention to the things that you love and you enjoy. Those are the things you're going to be good at. Those are the things you're going to excel at. And ultimately, the things that you, you absolutely detest um, see whether you can you can dele delegate them or outsource them so you can do more of the stuff that you're going to be good at. So that's that that's it in a nutshell, really. So even through the career coaching world, you know, we we had I had plenty of people that you know were audit seniors in P in um, Deloitte, or and they hated it, and ultimately um, helping them find a career path into something that they that they enjoyed more. Because again, they were doing the job that they thought they should do, and their parents told them should should do, and the career guidance told them should, to do, rather than the stuff that they were actually passionate about. You're the co-founder of ContentPlan.ie. Before we move on, mm. do you want to take thirty to sixty seconds to tell people what what it is that you guys do? Yeah, well, con content content plan. I suppose I, I hate the word boutique, but jeez, uh, I'm going to say it anyway. I suppose we we consider ourselves a. Uh, uh, a content marketing slash uh, social social media agency uh, where we would uh, manage social social media accounts and campaigns for 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 businesses anything from, from very big businesses to to, to small businesses um, and then obviously because of my background we have a fairly strong training and consultancy wing so we would do a lot of bespoke uh, digital training for for, for businesses um, and I suppose universities and um, train, training companies across Ireland and beyond. So essentially, mm -hmm. essentially that's out. I mean, and I think the one thing that we're very big on at the moment is, is making sure that, you know, if you're looking at digital, particularly social, that it's, um, it is that data piece as well. It's that it, it's it's the it's the targeted ad, ads. It's the um, targeting customizing your ads to specific audiences as well as just your fancy, flowery, organic content. And I would be a big believer that when it comes to what we do is every time we work with a client, we're looking for business ROI. We're not looking for just branding and awareness because that stuff is useless unless it leads to business ROI. And again, it's mm. about how we help businesses look good online and generate business ROI from their efforts is I suppose our mantra. Well, one of the questions that I was going to ask or ask sometimes in podcasts is around blind spots and it's what do you see people businesses do that might not engage with your services because they're not familiar with you yet um that like a road bump of the road that they consistently hit that if they had overcome or solved a way around it or over it they'd be in a much better position but they just consistently keep hitting into that road bump is there any common things that you that, that you see yeah, they're massive ones. I suppose the biggest mistake, and again, it may not be a mistake, but it's my opinion, but the biggest mistake mm. I think businesses make is that they're afraid of making a mistake online. Like at the end of the day, shit happens all the time. And I'm not suggesting we go out of way to make, make mistakes, but ultimately we probably take a, a too much of a conservative uh, approach to our digital marketing efforts. So we what we end up doing is we end up blending in 
with everyone else rather than standing out. And I've always said the one thing that's so important to do uh, in, a, in a digital world is stand out and not to blend in. Dare to be different. And I think you, you see it time and time again, you know, it could be a car company. They create, you know, car companies create ads that look the exact same as every other car company's ads. So no one is daring, daring to stand out. And because everyone does it that way, oh, I think I should do it that way too, because they mm -hmm. must know something that I don't know. So I think there's this massive fear of making a mistake, doing something different um, and standing out when it comes to, to digital, particularly social, because if I stand out when it comes to, to social, God forbid, I'm very exposed. And what if someone has a go, 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 a go with me and so on? I remember years ago talking to a bank and I came up uh, to had a meeting with the bank and I was giving them all this fantastic innovative ideas of what we could do from a digital perspective. I was really excited um, of, of, of where the bank could go to be innovative online. And, you know, proposals and proposals and meetings after meetings. And then I didn't get the business. And when I asked why I didn't get the business, the, the bank said, well, God, you, you know, your, your, your ideas scared the shit out of us, Greg. They scared the bejesus out of us, you know. It says, we just need to make sure that we don't make a mistake. So ultimately, all what we need to achieve online is to make sure that what we do doesn't fuck up and what we do um, doesn't, doesn't, um, uh, doesn't doesn't cause any heartache and he says that's why we hire agencies we hire agencies because ultimately if anything does go wrong we can blame the agency but ultimately everything that they were uh, they were focused on was about uh, minimizing any any impact or any negativity now and i'm not well, suggesting we want negativity but ultimately it's very very difficult to be innovative if you've got that approach mm -hmm. and um so i think it's that daring to be different that we find with with most companies is that they're constantly um constantly wanting to do what their competitor is doing because ultimately that's the way to do it and they're they're scared of trying something new that hasn't been seen hasn't hasn't happened before in case they look stupid and ultimately i think that that's the biggest mistake uh, when it comes to digital now it's a hard sell to a lot of businesses but ultimately that's that's a that's a big mistake the other thing that we're also seeing is businesses stick to the the platforms they're the most comfortable with and the places they're the most comfortable with not the ones that are the right platforms for the audience mm. that they're trying to connect and engage with so you know you see a business that they like facebook they've always been on facebook that's where they're going to stay and uh, we're seeing platforms like 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 tiktok that have exploded particularly during the pandemic but again how many brands have managed to successfully embrace uh, take tiktok in a meaningful way and maybe barring an occasional occasional influencer campaign there's mighty mm -hmm. but ultimately we're 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 just we're 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 very very slow particularly in ireland to to try new things and dare dare to be different we're, we're constantly our default mechanism is to is to blend back in with everyone else and as i said uh, particularly social media it's about daring to stand out not blending in Two final questions. You were a big fan of Zoom before mm. 20, 2019, 2020. Um, you were screaming from the top of the hills that Zoom is the future. Why? 
Yeah, just, I mean, again, it's, it's about building efficiency. So at the end of the day, here we are. We, we could have potentially, um, you know, driven around the country to try to meet up to do this podcast today. But ultimately, I had to press a button on my computer and we're, we're having a chat like that. It's, it's build, it builds such great efficiency. So mm. for me, I've been a massive fan of video. I'm a massive fan of video on the grounds that video for me is the fastest way to build a, build, build a relationship with your audience, bar none, maybe other than meeting them face to face. Because with video, people can see you. They can see the confused look on your face. They can see the smile. I mean, we know how important body language is. So video is vital. And that's why face to face meetings are so important. Um, but when it comes to, to, to Zoom, if I want to meet my client in Kerry, um, that's, that's, that's a day of my life for 45 minutes gone. It's, it's completely inefficient. So I am so much better. God forbid I want to meet my client in Germany. That's a day or maybe two days of my life um, mm. gone. Completely inefficient, inefficient. So I've always believed that we need to take a blended approach. So if I wanted to meet my clients face to face and I had good clients, maybe I want to meet them maybe once or twice a year face to face and go out for dinner with them and look after them and see how they're getting on. Um, but I may want to meet with them every three weeks or every, every, um, every month mm -hmm. via Zoom or the equivalent of. And that way they feel more connected, more loved, more serviced. And ultimately I'm doing less travel. So in the past, you may have traveled to Germany or to Kerry three times a year. So now what's happening rather than going three times a year to Kerry and being very inefficient, I may be going to Kerry or Germany once a year and I'm meeting my client 11 other times or maybe more face-to-face -face via Zoom. So they're getting more love, more service, and um, ultimately I'm becoming more efficient. So what I would say to anyone is think about every time you're jumping in your car is does this, is this meeting more efficient face-to-face um, -face or over Zoom? What's, even what's best for my client? That's what we want to do. Final question for you. Mm. Mentorships, books, podcasts. Is there any one specific or group of people that you lean on or books that you regularly go back to the consume or podcasts that you listen to to help you consistently level up? Yeah, no, I, I mean, I'm, I'm fairly shocking to be, I'd be blatantly honest with you. I was a really bad, really bad reader. Um, mm. So um, reading was never good for me. And that's the one thing I would say is if, you know, play, play to your strengths. So if, you know, don't, don't listen to people that tell you to read all these books if you just not, are not good at reading books. Um, and, and I certainly, certainly would, have, would have read a lot of um, audio, listened to a lot of audio books because that's more, 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 more works better for me. And when it, came, when it comes to what types of stuff that, that floats my boat, I like... I suppose I like to be fueled with inspiration. So for me, it's often autobiographies of people's lives. It could be anything from Tyson Fury and mental health um, that would, it would, it would inspire me more than maybe a business or a marketing, marketing book that I might, mm. might read. So to be honest, I like, I like reading about people and what people have achieved rather than a kind of theory-based book that floats my boat. Um, for me, 
I'm still go back to blogs. So for me, a lot of the content I consume is because it's bite-sized chunks. It's it's quicker, it's faster, it's easier for me to consume. Is uh, it's 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 blog content. So mm-hmm. still to this day, even though I'd say oh, I even to read content, I go well, I know most of that, or that that I knew that already. It it reinforms that I know what I know what I know, mm-hmm. and that's um, socialmediaexaminer.com is still one of those platforms. Every day I read their articles just just that's 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 my kind of go-to place there's social media today there's loads of loads of those uh, kind of industry-based blogs but ultimately where the vast majority of my knowledge comes from um, is probably just 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 paying attention to the the, the latest blog posts that are out there from TechCrunch to social media examiner social media today and and so so on just to keep myself um um, informed and then what I do like a kid that's just learned learned how to do a new soccer trick on YouTube every time I see anything new and interesting I go and try it out so if someone talks about a different type of um, Facebook ad or a different you know how to create a carousel ad as an organic post you know there's no there's no I, I'm, I don't I don't read content I go and do it so I prefer to consume mm-hmm. less and then go and play around with stuff so I'm actually learning by doing rather than learning by just reading um, so for me it's probably blogs mostly and then seeing cool stuff and then going and, and, and trying it out is essentially how I try to to keep myself um, on my toes. I love those suggestions. I'll leave links because I consume Social Media Examiner as well. Um, and all the other suggestions that you've mentioned, I'll leave links to them below if anybody wants to check them out. TechCrunch and other, other great resources. But for today, Greg Fry, it's been a pleasure chatting to you for the last 45, 50 minutes. Yes, Thank you for being both. my guest today. And uh, I wish you continued success professionally and personally. As and, you- like, and likewise to yourself and to every listener out there. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. If your metro don't trust you, I'm gonna show you Beautiful morning, you're the sun of my morning bed